I was driving through a national forest with no service, pouring rain with thunder and lightning, driving through five mile long puddles behind logging trucks with wood chips flying into my windshield and giant trucks driving by me way too fast and blasting me with water, nearly forcing me off the road. If I can make it through this, I can make it through anything. I'm Julio Gallarotti, and this is Pack Light Season 1, A COVID-Friendly Road Trip. You really notice the little things when you spend enough time alone, and I intend to walk you through every little detail of this trip. These are my free-flowing thoughts as I drive around the country. At the end of the episode, there are more details about where to find pictures, links to music, and some other cool stuff. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the ride. up bright and early and ready to make moves. But first, I needed to bang out the podcast. It's ironic that I stayed in a boring hotel on the corporate strip so that I would have good Wi-Fi, and then of course I couldn't figure out the Wi-Fi. I knew there was probably an easy fix, and I regretted having not called the tech people the night before. I had to podcast using my cell phone with my cell phone audio, and to make matters worse, Francis' connection was very weak as well, and it just kept cutting out. I also started the podcast with 48% battery and by some minor miracle finished recording without my phone dying. When we finished, I had 2%. I'd been leaving my phone charger in the car and I didn't have time to run out there once we were already running behind. This was probably the low point of our podcasting careers technology-wise. But we powered through and we got the episode in the back. I didn't need to podcast the following morning, but I still chose to stay at a Courtyard Marriott since it was the nicest hotel in the random place I was planning on staying. I was planning on spending the next few nights in Texas, but COVID was starting to explode in Houston and Dallas and Austin and San Antonio, pretty much everywhere I considered going. I was eventually planning on staying with my buddy Benny Bling and his girlfriend in Houston. This guy's a character. In the past year, he's discovered the rapper Young Thug and it's completely changed his life. I'm pretty sure he named his dog Thugger. And when he talks about Young Thug, he lights up like a little kid talking about Santa Claus. The plan was I would stay in Beaumont in Eastern Texas, and the following night, if COVID wasn't too crazy, I would stay in Houston with Benny Blake. RJ thought it was hilarious that I would be staying in Beaumont. He was texting me in a Southern accent, which made it unclear whether or not the things he was saying were true. I read what he was saying like this. Oh, Beaumont, you best be careful driving through them little towns on the way there. They gonna pull you over and take whatever you got. I figured he was messing with me or whatever, but then he kept going. Beaumont make Biloxi look like Monaco. (laughs) I thought that was pretty funny. We then started conversing normally, and he reminded me that Robert Durst had been hiding out in Galveston, which is also in Eastern Texas. He also made the point that Eastern Texas was, in his words, quote, incredibly sketchy, reassuring words. (laughs) I chose Beaumont because it made sense. It was the closest place I could get a decent hotel outside of the Big Thicket National Preserve, which I wanted to check out in Eastern Texas as I made my way along. I will be driving much more today than I have been so far, and I wanted to stick to my plan of trying not to drive at night. So Beaumont was a perfect stopping point. I liked that I was staying off the beaten path during this trip, staying in what I would like to call fourth tier cities. Now this tiered city thing is something that I always think about, and it's strictly my opinion. I'm not trying to offend anyone, but the first tier cities are obvious, you know, New York, LA, San Francisco, Chicago, whatever. 
And when I say tier, it has nothing to do with the quality of the city, more about you know how significant the city is. I once made the mistake of saying that DC was a second tier city in the presence of my friend Patrick Izzo, who got deeply offended by this. Dude, what are you talking about? DC is a second tier city? Are you nuts? The hotel that I was planning to stay at in Beaumont was actually a little pricey. It was the most expensive hotel I stayed at so far and would only be topped by one other hotel later in the trip. I find this ironic and you'll see why. My plan for the day was pretty straightforward and excitingly very off the beaten path. It was a short drive to the bridge that would take me over the Mississippi River again and back into Louisiana where I would say goodbye to Mississippi until next time. My first stop was at a place called Poverty Point. It was located about 60 miles northwest of Vicksburg. Both a national park site and a UNESCO World Heritage Site, Poverty Point is located in northern Louisiana in what I would argue is the definition of off the beaten path. No highways for miles and some nice deep south driving. Sounded great. Also, don't be fooled by the name. It has nothing to do with socioeconomics. Poverty Point is comprised of ancient architecture mostly in grass and field. Part of the setup is most prominent from an aerial view. It forms this couple mile long ridge situation that kind of looks like the Wi-Fi symbol. It kind of reminded me of a combination of the movie Signs meets True Detective season one. Signs being about aliens and True Detective being about creepy Louisiana voodoo type stuff. The day was on brand, dark, cloudy, spotty rain. I arrived there and there was only one other car there. This was one of the rare sites where the visitor center and the gift shop were actually open. It was four bucks to enter, love a cheap day. I handed her a five and used the extra dollar to buy a postcard that I still have. The lady informed me that there was a walking tour and a driving tour as well. The walking tour was about three miles. Perfect. The rain had stopped, and although the grass was wet, I was ultimately fine with the prospect of having wet feet for the day if need be. I arrived right around 10.30 a.m. My next stop was about four hours away, but it closed at 3.30 promptly, so I wanted to make sure I got there in time because the next stop was really cool and off the beaten path as well. But David Shane's words echoed in my head. Be lazy. So I had to do the hike. I wasn't going to come all the way there and not do it. I know you're probably thinking, how is hiking being lazy? But in this context, being lazy essentially means being thorough. So I think what David Shane meant by that was, if you go to all these places, make sure you stay there and soak it in and enjoy it. So I wasn't going to drive all the way to Poverty Point in the middle of nowhere and not do the hike. That was my interpretation of the message, at least. Be thorough. Be present. Don't pack in too much. The hike was a surreal experience. It was early-ish still and very overcast, so even though it was very humid, it wasn't terrible. This was a nice change from some of the previous daytime weather I had experienced down south. The area of the hike was overwhelmingly big and green. The first part of the hike, it was totally silent besides the sounds of nature. Sounds that I could only describe as the stereotypical sounds from a movie about the South that takes place in the middle of nowhere on, let's say, the bayou. I don't know if it's crickets, nature, bugs, swamp, a combination of all of those, but just picture whatever those noises sound like, and those were the sounds I was hearing. It's kind of hard to see the ridge formations since you're down on the ground level with them, but knowing what they look like from pictures, it was cool to be walking on the path alongside. There are a couple prominent and exciting mounds that the ancient culture had created. They were massive. 
It made me wonder if the thing about the mound in Natchez was true, like how it was the second biggest one in the country, because these were way bigger. The site as a whole was constructed by the poverty point culture sometime between 1700 and 1100 BC, aka a long ass time ago. Archaeologists debate what the purposes of the ridges and the area were for. While it's clear that the land was manipulated and flattened in certain areas to build mounds and ridges on top of them, people don't agree about why it was constructed the way it was. Some people believe it was a practical center for trade. Others thought people lived on the ridges and structures they built, while others maintain it had some kind of spiritual significance. I like the latter, just because it heightened the experience to imagine some sort of spiritual presence. The mounds and ridges were really cool, and I enjoyed the hike very much. I looked on Instagram to see where people had taken the coolest pictures from, and I tried to recreate one. I did this on the stairs leading up to one of the tops of the mounds. When I reached the top of the mound, although it wasn't that steep or that high up, you were high enough above the surrounding area to have a beautiful panorama of the lush green fields and the ridges and dense, dark forest surrounding it. It seemed like the perfect place for the next M. Night Shyamalan movie. There was part of the trail that led me through the woods, and all I needed to be more creeped out was a scary soundtrack. There was also this creepy-ass tree with a scary face carved into it, clearly leaning into the vibe. It didn't help that the only other people on the path, a family, had a little girl with them who was screaming in the distance. I heard her screaming before I actually saw the family, and it was freaking me out. The site runs along the Bayou Macon, which is the first proper, quote, bayou I think I'd ever laid eyes on. It was basically just brown water in the midst of dense vegetation. It's much less creepy when you're standing next to it than it would be in an episode of True Detective with eerie music. The gloomy skies really heightened the experience of walking around the site. Unfortunately, the rain held up for the entire hour that I was walking the trails. It started up literally 10 minutes after I got back in the car and didn't stop until much later in the day. And it rained hard. During that 10 minutes, as I drove away from Poverty Point, probably the first house I saw had a very impressive Trump shrine on their front lawn. It was a very beat-up pickup truck, literally from the 1950s, with a giant picture of Trump in the bed area of the pickup. American flags were in place of where the rearview mirrors were normally be. American flag ribbons along the sides of the bed of the truck, and a giant American flag behind the photo of Trump. Pretty impressive shrine situation. I would only see one other Trump shrine that was this well constructed by an individual on their front lawn later in the trip. Have to say I felt the same way about this area as I did the day before. It seemed like it had been forgotten and overlooked, and I understand how that could foster Trump support in certain groups of people. You know, he's someone who's speaking to them, even if what he's saying is nonsense or not very nice or compassionate to many of his constituents. I didn't want to hang around too long as getting out of the car and taking a picture would mean I was clearly up to no good. So quickly got out, snapped the pic, got back in the car, took off. I didn't want any trouble. My next stop would be the Cane River Creole Plantation Historic Site. The two sites that aren't that close together, classic, are considered to be one of the best preserved plantations in the country, with most of the original buildings still intact. This seemed like a cool, important, and timely thing to be checking out. Equally in the middle of nowhere, and equally COVID-friendly. This was a no-brainer. But it was 160 miles away, and it closed promptly at 3.30pm, so I needed to get cracking. The hike had taken exactly an hour, and it was approximately 11.30 a.m. when I left Poverty Point. Hopefully I would get to Cane River with plenty of time to look around.
The drive between the two destinations brought me through a lot of poverty. A lot of small towns with tons of deserted little buildings. Lots of churches and giant crosses. Lots of severely flooded land with trees 75% submerged in the water. The drive would continue to be challenging. There were periods of severe downpours, like can barely see out the window situation. I was driving slow, but I was a little more confident about my severe weather driving skills at this point with kind of a lot of experience. And it would get worse. Much of the day would be spent, like yesterday, driving through national forests, which are pretty, but challenging to drive through during tough weather, especially since there wasn't much around and the roads were narrow. But the locals were comfortable with the tough conditions and would drive super fast. I would drive through the Kisachi National Forest, the Homochito National Forest, and the Sabine National Forest throughout the day. And it was again much more intense than what I had described in Weston. Two lane roads with tractor trailers going 70 miles per hour past you and blasting you with water in the other direction. Plus a gust of wind that would almost make you lose control of your car. All during torrential downpours and no houses or gas stations in sight. Pretty nuts. Again, thank myself for choosing the SUV. I noticed a lot of barren fields along the way, but skinny trees still remain. Remnants of what I assumed was logging. It looked like a scene out of a movie where there's an animal as the protagonist, and the animal's horrified that their environment was being destroyed. I assumed that's why there were a bunch of national forests around there to try to preserve some of the natural beauty. I'll say this though, driving behind logging trucks is not fun. Wood chips constantly flying off the back of trucks, and fear that one of those giant logs is going to fall off, go through your windshield, and decapitate. Not ideal. To be honest, it seemed like there was logging taking place in the National Forest a lot of the time. I wondered if it was legal. I'm assuming there are, like, specific designations of what you can and can't do, but it was pretty remote out there, and I wouldn't be surprised if you could just get away with it. arrived in the Natchitoches pair, which is spelled nothing how it's pronounced. It's spelled N-A-T-I-T-O-C-H-E-S, which I don't know how that's Natchitoches, but apparently it is. This is where the Cane River Plantation was located. Louisiana is the only state in the country that has parishes instead of counties, something having to do with their being controlled by the French and the Spanish. The parish titles corresponded with the churches, and I guess they never changed it. Alaska is the only other state that doesn't have counties. They have boroughs instead. As I drove through the town of Clarence, I noticed a lady selling watermelons out of the back of a pickup truck. It said in quotes, Sugartown Watermelons. I thought about buying one, but I was running a little behind. Behind her truck, at a local gas station, I noticed a sign for a $4.29 pack of fucking darts. Can you believe that? My throat was not feeling fantastic from all the talking and the muggy weather. Hopefully that's what it was at least. So I had less trouble resisting the urge for a cheap pack of smokes today than in Alabama a couple days ago. One thing I had noticed throughout the South, first in Alabama, but there were these homes built literally in the water with boats parked underneath as if they were their car. These sort of swamp, bayou, tributary communities varied in their degrees of quality as well. 
Some of the communities, especially near Dauphin and Alabama, were kind of fancy. The ones I drove by on the way to Cane River didn't seem as nice, but I was still impressed and wasn't totally sure if stuff like that actually existed before I actually saw it with my own eyes. You know, before my only idea of something like that was any Southern movie starring Kathy Bates. It could be any genre. It could be funny, it could be scary, but I just picture Kathy Bates living in some creepy house with like a boat parked next to her house instead of having a car, you know? The final two episodes of the podcast 1619, which I've been talking about so much, were both about commercial farming in Louisiana and the way the system was designed. Apparently, it can be difficult for black farmers to get the financing they need to keep their farms working. Again, I was driving through farmland in the state that all this was taking place. And even though the parish that they mentioned in 1619 was a bit further south, it still made this very sad story hit my heart a little bit harder. But I was forever grateful to be learning more about the complexities of race in America. One of the earlier episodes was about healthcare and people not having access to proper treatment and things like that, which of course made my hypochondria alert. I'd also lost a dear friend a month earlier to brain cancer. He was young too, 38. All of these things contributing to my certainty that there was something wrong with me. I tried my best to push through and kept reminding myself that my brain was playing tricks on me. I arrived at the Cane River Creole Plantation at 2.24 p.m. Upon arriving, I realized that there were two sites, one of which had a detour to get to, but I still should have just enough time to check out both of them. A few of the insides of the buildings were closed due to COVID, but most of the structures were small enough to peer into, and if not, you still got a good feel by being able to see all the outsides of the buildings. It was definitely worth visiting, even with the limitations. I was really hungry, but my next stop in Beaumont, Texas was kind of far away. I was thinking that I might just hold out till dinner. I had a couple protein bars in my bag. I can't usually eat protein bars because most of them are made with nuts and Hillary is severely allergic to nuts. Like so badly that if she even eats one pistachio, we immediately have to go to the hospital. But since she was a thousand miles away, the coast was clear for a naughty snack. Like I mentioned before, Cane River was located in the Natchitoches Parish, which in some respects is in the quote, middle of nowhere about three hours northwest of Baton Rouge. It was super overcast, and it had been raining all day as I mentioned, but yet again, it cleared up for me when I arrived. Felt kind of serendipitous. I started walking down the path to check out the grounds, through the mud, and there was a guy in a tractor doing some kind of maintenance. White guy with a beard, overalls on, cowboy hat, and as he rode towards me, he shouted, White shoes were a bad choice! <laughs> He was right, but it was also funny and made me feel welcomed. It really heightens the experience at a place with a dark history when the weather is dark and overcast. I was also the only person visiting that day, at both sites. There were a lot of pamphlets and little educational materials, which made it seem like this was a popular place for field trips, which it should be. But it's very hard to get to, so I'm sure it's not a tourist hotspot anyway, even when the pandemic isn't happening. They had original newspapers from the time, and I grabbed one. I read through some of the articles. One was about a killer at large who ran out of the woods and shot this woman in the head, but couldn't quite connect with her husband who ran into the woods. Pretty crazy stuff. But most of it was pretty boring. Stuff like the sale of land and, unfortunately, people as well. 
The wiki says this, the Cane River Creole Plantation consists of two plantations, Oakland and Magnolia. Both plantations are complete in their historic settings, including landscapes, outbuildings, structures, furnishings, and artifacts. And they are the most intact French Creole cotton plantations in the United States. In total, 65 structures and over a million artifacts enhance the National Park Service mission as it strives to tell the story of the evolution of the plantation agriculture through the perspective of landowners, enslaved workers, overseers, skilled workers, and tenant farmers who resided along the Cane River for about 200 years. This park is included as a site on the Louisiana African American Heritage Trail as well. It felt pretty crazy to walk around the fairly vast grounds of these plantations. The overseer's house was particularly creepy. And not just because that was such an infamous job title in American history, but the house itself looked super creepy. It was standing on bricks with thin white columns holding up the roof over a porch furnished with a rocking chair. It looked like something out of Django. Those classic southern oak trees were scattered around the property, enhancing the eerie feel. This was definitely a challenging day, both with the difficulty of travel conditions and the creepiness of the destinations. The day wouldn't really improve in that regard, but I wanted an adventure and that's what I got. Birds were chirping in a peaceful way that brought me back to what it must have felt like to wake up early to work the land. The slaves' quarters were another thing that stood out to me. The cabins were very small and would often house two families at once, which I imagine were comprised of many children. It was definitely tight in there. It was interesting to see the layout of what a working Creole plantation might have looked like, and a brutal reminder of how this stuff had happened not too long ago. It was an important reminder of how far we've come, but most importantly, a reminder of how much further we needed to go. It felt like such a significant time to be taking a trip like this, and I felt grateful. It was 3.20 p.m., and I had successfully visited both sites, and the dark clouds started to roll in. It seemed like the instant I got back in my silver sleigh, the old Cherokee, that the rain started dumping from the sky yet again. It was another three hours to the hotel in Beaumont, Texas. The drive and landscape would be some of the most challenging yet. Flooded roads and towns, pouring rain, dense forest. I would need to be on my A-game. My semi-empty stomach was still giving me energy for the time being. At 4.45 p.m., I crossed a river and entered into Texas. I always pictured Texas looking like something out of a John Wayne movie. You know, tumbleweed, open land, grazing cattle, but this part of Texas wasn't like that. I was in deep, dense forest, logging country. I would see more and more logging trucks throughout the day. But I'd never been to Texas before, and I'd always wanted to go. So far, Mississippi and Alabama were new states for me. Louisiana I had been to once for a comedy festival in New Orleans. But I had always wanted to visit Texas, and I never had. Since I was a little boy, my grandfather would talk to me about Texas. Julieto, you ever go to Texas? The horse. He just loved the idea of this beautiful open land with horses and all that, like in John Wayne movies, which he loved. I find it kind of funny that my dad's generation, and apparently the generation before him, were and are obsessed with strong male leads in movies. 
these like silly tough guys who can kill anyone. It's just funny to picture this like group of tough men with crushes on these fake heroes. It feels kind of like ironically homoerotic. <laughs> the same way it does when Trump dances to Macho Man and YMCA at his rallies. It's too funny. My grandfather had a really good run. I think he made it to like 98 years old. I remember going to Italy for his funeral. It was actually the first time I had ever been to Italy outside of the summertime. It was cold and it felt weird. They kept his body in the house so people could come by and pay their respects throughout the week. I thought it was kind of creepy that his body was just in the house, to which my aunt replied, ah, don't worry, we put him in the coldest room. Good enough for me, I guess, but I was glad I could join my father and comfort him during that. Anyway, I couldn't help but feel a little emotional the first time I saw that first beautiful stallion roaming through a field in Texas. I'd finally done the thing my grandfather had always wanted to do and see. I literally whispered to myself with a smile, The horse, Giulietto. The horse. By the time I got to Beaumont, I talked on the phone so much in the car, that and a combination of allergies and the fact that I had been eating like shit all had me convinced that my horse throat, heartburn, and congestion just might be a colossal case of COVID. Hopefully I would start to feel better. I finally arrived at my hotel, the Courtyard Beaumont, right around 7 p.m., perfect time. I was starving and was ready for a huge meal. First, I had to figure out the Wi-Fi situation. I just wanted to make sure that I knew how to do it so I didn't have to stress out about it. After a 15-minute phone call with the tech support people, I felt confident that I could avoid any further technical problems. There was a great Cajun restaurant right across the highway, Floyd's. Texas had been getting crushed by COVID, so I was skeptical about dining in, even though the option was available. I'd been seeing lots of people wearing masks at gas stations and outside of the hotel. And at Floyd's Cajun Seafood, there was a similar situation. They were seating at 75% capacity, but the place looked packed. People were at the bar, drinking margaritas, wearing masks, but just as many with masks around their chin. The employees were wearing masks basically every single place I went, including here, but do these people just not understand? Everyone has to wear the mask for it to work. This part of Texas hadn't seen the surges of some other counties, but I still got in and got out. I was starving as I hadn't eaten a proper meal the whole day. I went ham, as they say. I started with an order of alligator bites, which are basically like fried alligator nuggets. They were delicious. They kind of tasted like calamari. I asked the lady over the phone what the best fish was, and she said it was the blackened flounder, which also happened to be the most expensive thing. I don't know why, but I'm always suspicious when the waiter recommends the most expensive thing on the menu. Anyway, it was pretty damn good. They served it bone-in. I was careful eating it. I definitely didn't want to choke and die alone in a hotel room in East Texas, which according to RJ, is the type of thing that happens in East Texas. I also ordered a side of asparagus, trying to fool myself into believing that I was making some healthy choices with my extremely unhealthy meal. They also included a few pieces of delicious garlic bread. I enjoyed my meal while watching some more of the Lance Armstrong doc. I eventually convinced myself that the stomach ache that came along with this rich dinner was some sort of terminal illness. The room was nice, a king bed with a couch. I was laying on the couch plotting my next move. I was originally planning on spending two to three nights in Texas, one in Houston or San Antonio, and the other one in either Dallas or Waco or somewhere leading me up north. 
but COVID was truly popping off in nearby Houston. And San Antonio had closed the Alamo and many of the other cool stuff to see. And Dallas as well was getting pounded. So I had an idea, though it was an ambitious one. I would essentially skip Texas altogether. I would still stop at some national park sites along the way, but I would completely change the route to keep things COVID-friendly. I let Benny Bling know that, unfortunately, I wouldn't be stopping by. I was starting to crave some companionship, but I thought it might make the trip more special if I just kept it solo. I really wanted to get a good night's sleep tonight, as today it was extremely draining. I got in bed nice and early. Right when I laid down, I remembered that I needed to check some stuff on my route. As I made my way to the desk to do some research, an enormous cockroach scurried along the floor, about five inches away from my foot. It was just really not an ideal situation. And I mean, I'm from New York. Like, I used to find similar critters in my apartment in Brooklyn all the time. Albeit they were usually dead because I sprayed the apartment, but still, this was not great. And I know the courtyard is in the Four Seasons, but come on. I called to complain, and it was a pretty funny interaction. Hi, yes, I found a cockroach in my room. This should not be happening. Oh, no, sir, I'm so sorry. Was it big? I thought this was a hilarious question, like a question someone's daughter would ask. Like, why does it matter if it's big? The cockroach is there. But it was still pretty funny in retrospect. Yes, it was gigantic. I have trapped it, and this is unacceptable. Oh, sir, I'm so sorry. You know, sometimes when it rains, they come out. RJ had been right again. Beaumont, gritty town. <laughs> Though his best prediction would be happening the following day. The lady kindly gave me 10,000 rewards points, which is basically 100 bucks. I appreciated that, and it was ultimately worth it. Even though I found a giant spider in the shower, too. There was also a nasty, stained roll of toilet paper towels that were still in there. After I told a few people the story, they all were like, yeah, there's some like crazy critters down here in Texas, so I guess it was par for the course. I find it funny, though, that like spiders don't necessarily warrant complaints. They're just kind of like an occupational hazard. But cockroaches are fully okay to complain about. I had a girlfriend who worked in hospitality, and she said that people would bring dead bugs with them and put them in the hotel room to try to get a free stay, and that usually the hotel would just immediately give them a free stay. Some scammer-type shit. Anyway, I obviously couldn't sleep well because of the cockroach situation. I just kept kind of like feeling them on my legs, even though there was nothing there. I just told myself it was no big deal and tried to go to sleep. And I was right about to fall asleep when I heard... I was like, not again. Literally, what are the odds of this? I tried to turn the air conditioner up to drown out the noise. Also used a white noise app on my phone, and that helped a little. I had a long drive ahead of me the next day. I needed to sleep. On the next episode of Pack Life, I make some big changes to my itinerary because of COVID. I also visit Joe Exotic's old stomping grounds, have some car trouble for the first time, and have my first run-in with the law, of the trip at least. Check out my YouTube channel for the entire episode, along with a soothing visual accompaniment. And check out the Instagram, at Picks for some videos and pictures of the stuff from the episode, and for a checklist of all the stops I made if you want to try to do a similar trip yourself. 
There's a link to my playlist in the episode description as well. Message me on Instagram at notjulio, N-O-T-J-U-L-I-O, and let me know your thoughts, your suggestions, anything you have to say. I'd really love to hear from you. Thank you so much for listening. We'll see you next time.